On today's show, we welcome Dean Canessez, an ultra-running legend from San Francisco. Welcome, Dean. Thanks for having me on. Oh, mate, I am so excited. I have seen that you've um, we've locked in a spot in Australia for you to come and participate in the Blackall 100. Uh, I was watching some videos um, the other day, and and I am just so excited. Um, you know, potentially I'll be at that race, and and maybe we might even get to meet in person. But you know, your reputation and your long history in the sport precedes you. But for people listening who maybe don't know who you are, could you tell us a little bit about your endurance life? Uh, I'm not sure where to begin, but, you know, I've been a lifelong runner. Uh, I started running home from kindergarten when I was a little boy at uh, about five or six years old. And then I ran uh, competitively until I was uh, in high school. And then I quit running altogether. I, I was too, I became too cool for running. And uh, then was in a, a nightclub in a bar in San Francisco on the eve of my 30th birthday, um, you know, following tradition of what people do on, you know, what blokes do on their 30th birthday. I was, I was getting pissed as a lizard. <laughs> mm. And uh, at, you know, at, at midnight, I told my friends, hey, I'm leaving. And they said, you know, why are you leaving? The night's young, let's have another round of tequila to celebrate your 30th birthday. And I said, no, uh, uh, and instead, to celebrate my 30th birthday, I'm going to run 30 miles right now. So, you know, 50 kilometers. Mm. And, and they looked at me and they said, you know, you're not even a runner, you're drunk. And I said, yeah, I am, but I'm, I'm still going to do it. And I literally walked out of the bar that night and ran straight through the night 30 miles and changed my life forever. My gosh. And now, and now <laughs> like, out of curiosity, are you in the nightclub wearing sports shoes or are you just, <laughs> you know, like, what were you wearing at the nightclub? <clears throat> 50Ks is yeah. a massive distance. No, and you're, I didn't own running shoes per se. I had, like, a pair of, you know, like, Reebok kind of mm -hmm. gardening shoes, as I recall, and uh, I didn't have running gear. I had these like very comfortable silk uh, boxer shorts on, you know, underwear. <laughs> so I walked out and I, I started running. You know, I knew if I ran to a, a city called um, Half Moon Bay, that was that was 30 miles away from San Francisco. And I started running and, and my pants were just horrible to run in. So I stripped off my pants and literally ran in my silk underwear. <laughs> police might pull over and be like son what are you doing you know just like running and holding your shorts um that's that's funny it's a funny image and so so from there though you that's obviously some spark was ignited um standing in that um nightclub uh you know around your birthday where that has completely now shaped the entirety of your life um so so what what's the journey been like from there yeah, I mean, it's just been it's been a journey, as you said. So, uh, you know, I became a runner after that night. I said, all right, I'm going to become a runner. And, you know, I was running around San Francisco and I thought I was a pretty badass runner. And, and then one day uh, I was running and there's this this last kind of hill that I had to run up to get to my house. And these two guys just rocket past me and kind of left me in a dust cloud. And they had packs on as well. I thought, my mm -hmm. God, these guys, like, they, they're at a whole nother level. Like, I, I think I'm really fit. These guys are something else. And so I finally get to the top of this, this hill, this climb, and they're doing push-ups at the top. Mm -hmm. You know, not only they dust me on the way up, they're doing push-ups. And they weren't very talkative, but I finally pried out of them, you know, what do you, what's up? And they said, well, we're training for a 50-mile race. 
you know, and I said, what a 50 mile race, you know, how many days <laughs> does mm -hmm. it take to run 50 miles? You know, wait, where were the hotels along the way? And, you know, he said, no, nah, the gun goes off and, you know, you start running and you, you know, you stop when you cross the finish line and then they ran off. And I thought that that is crazy. That's impossible. A human can't run 50 miles. I got to try it. Mm. So I, I signed up for this 50 miler and ran the 50 miler and, um, it almost killed me. And I remember being in the tent at the finish delirious. And these same two guys, uh, that I met, you know, running up that hill were high-fiving each other saying, Hey, we qualified, we qualified. And I'm thinking, well, you qualify, what do you, you know, for the insane asylum and what do you qualify mm. for? Mm. Mm. And they said, no, we, we, we qualified for the Western States, 100 mile endurance run. And you know, I, I slapped my cheek and said, what, did you say 100 miles? And he's like, yeah, it's 100 miles. And, and not only that, he said, it's through the mountains. And, you, you know, you, you, you cross snow fields and you have to forge across rivers. And, and it's, it's freezing cold at the start. And it's, you know, roasting hot during the middle of the day. And you put on a headlamp at night. And you do everything as you're running. You know, you eat while you're running. And I, I, it was just such a fantastic thought to me that a human could do this uh, I thought I just I just have to try it even if it kills me I got to try this and I ran I successfully ran 100 miles without stopping which was mind-blowing I mean you know mm. now I just take it for granted you know I know all about this kind of universe of ultra running but before if someone had said you know a human's capable of, of running 100 miles without stopping I would have I would have said no way that's impossible yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah I just kept growing and growing and then I started getting invitation. I kind of started getting a reputation because I was so into this. You know, people said, "Hey, will you do this this race? You know, will you will you run across Death Valley in the middle of summer? You know, will you run a marathon to the South Pole? Will you run across the Sahara? You know, will you run across uh, the Atacama Desert?" And I just I have a hard time saying no, so I just accepted all these things. And mm. you know, a couple decades later, I've been on all seven continents twice, and you know, I've. I just, I built a life around running and exploration and adventure. Yeah, you're like adventure man. I, I, I just like thinking about people coming and, you know, you just, there's so much to unpack there. You, you're like, oh, I'll just run, um, you know, 30 miles. And then I'll just, yeah. oh, these guys are doing a 50 mile race. I'm going to give that a go. So it speaks to your mindset. Next thing, you know, it's these longer races. Someone comes and says, Let's run at the South Pole. And you're like, I'm in. You know, I just love where your head's at. And the fact that you've been able to do all these things. I mean, running at the South Pole, I, I can't even wrap my head around some of the things that you must have seen in your life. Being all around the world and running, taking you on that journey. But, you know, I'm, I'm intrigued about the South Pole. What was that like leading up to that event? Oh, that was that was a crazy event. And, you know, I should say to any anyone listening to this, if you want to read more about what I'm describing um, in my first book, it's called Ultra Marathon Man. Uh, you can yeah, I talk about all these stories, most of these stories in that book and the South Pole being one of them. Um, the South Pole was one of those things where uh, in hindsight, it's a miracle. We didn't all die. <laughs> mm. You know, it's one of those things where I, I got this invitation from a guy who said, you know, there'd be 40 to 50 runners, you know, uh, joining forces for the inaugural first time ever South Pole Marathon, 
well, I get down there and there's there's six people <laughs> and and this race director is kind of crazy. Like he's got this like crazy look in his eye. And I realize the South Pole is one of the most dangerous places on earth. I mean, mm. the weather is intense and it can close down really quickly. Um, three of the runners just bailed immediately. They just said, we're, <laughs> there's no way, <laughs> you know, we're mm. not, we're, we're in a place called Patriot Hills, which is kind of halfway to the South Pole. Uh, there's no way we're getting in a DC-3 flying to the South Pole. Uh, but three of us said, let's try it. And, you know, we landed on the Polar Plateau, which is the most remote place on Earth, and it was minus 45 degrees. And we got what's called weathered in. The weather turned bad, and we got stuck. So we're stuck in a, in a, in a tent with um, seven people, you know, the pilots, uh, one of the guides, and three of us runners, we're stuck in this tent for a week. Everything we own is completely frozen solid. I mean, if you wanted to brush your teeth, you literally had to sleep with your toothpaste in your mummy bag because everything in your shave kit was just rock solid. Mm. We, we couldn't cook food. We had one little camping stove. And, you know, the South Pole's at 11,000 feet above sea level. So not only is it minus 45 degrees, you're at high elevation. So this little camp stove couldn't put out any heat. Uh, we couldn't melt the snow to boil water to mm, eat man. our freeze-dried food. So we're eating raw freeze-dried food. <laughs> mm, mm. Yeah. Uh, and finally, um, you know, uh, the weather cleared. And, you know, they're kind of saying, hey, we, let's get the hell out of here. Let's get back to safety while we can. And, you know, I was so uh, irrational at that point. I thought, you know, I told my wife I'd be back to San Francisco in, in 12 days. Kind of the itinerary was a 12-day trip. Mm -hmm. it's, been it's been 30 days. Oh, um, oh. Yeah. You know, the, because the weather turned bad, we couldn't charge our, our satellite phone because there was, you know, we couldn't. It was, we, we had a, um, a solar-powered uh, pad for energy, and there was no sun to, to heat it up. So completely shut off. And I just said, there's no way I'm going home. I'm running this marathon uh, and, you know, and finish, you know, finishing what we came here to start, you know, finishing what we started. And it, it was the most dangerous journey running a marathon to the South Pole in minus 45 degrees, you know, with with the threat, the constant threat of frostbite, you know, with this balaclava over my head, this neoprene muffler in front of my face. You can't even breathe in the air directly because it'll freeze your lungs and your trachea. Whoa. So you, yeah, I mean, it was it was crazy. This thing, you know, you couldn't take in any food because if you pulled off your mask and you let your your, your lips get exposed to the the air, you get frostbite. So Holy. it was, you know, it was, it was a just a comedy of errors. And in hindsight, like I said, it's amazing we got out of there alive. Wow. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, like, India, your, your wife, she must have been, like, at the 12-day mark, and she's waiting for, you know, to, for you to drop back. She must have been so worried. People must have been starting to think, uh-oh, like, there probably are stories of people going to the South Pole and not coming back. I mean, I'm, I, I haven't researched it, but I imagine that that's, that's probably the case. If all of these things, breathe, die, eat, die, can't cook food, die. Do you know, like, it sounds to me like there's a whole lot of things that could go wrong, and yet... Some and like you know, for the people that decided not to go, you I, you can understand why they probably didn't go. But again, doesn't that speak to to the mindset that you that you're in to be able to just say no, let's finish this thing, and then you did it, and and now you you'll have that forever. You're the guy. 
Yeah, and it's ne- I mean, it's never been done again. It's too dangerous. It was like one and done. You know, it was supposed to be an inaugural event where, you know, every year there'd be 60 or 70 runners. <laughs> mm-hmm. No way. There's no possible way they could ever pull that off. It's, it was, a, you know, the, the first and only and ever South Pole Marathon. Wow. Wow. And, and, and history, like, you know, you're not, this is just one of, one of many races that you've been able to conquer, um, you know, over the years. And I was watching all movies about you, like clips and, and all sorts of things where, um, you just have this physical makeup that allows you just to keep going and going coupled with the most incredible mindset you are an absolute powerhouse. Like I was watching a video where it was talking about how where lactic acid builds up for others, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but for you, it 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 happens differently. Is that does that sound right? Yeah, I mean, you know, every every uh, athlete, aerobic athlete, uh, you know, is able to buffer something called lactic acid more effectively than just uh, a, a lay person. So if you if you think of lactic acid, imagine um, lifting some weights. Say you're doing bicep curls, mm-hmm. and as you're lifting a heavy weight, you know you might be able to do three or four reps, and then all of a sudden your muscle starts to burn, and you feel that you know that quivering sensation. You can't keep lifting the weight. Um, that's the accumulation of lactic acid in your muscles. But if you put down the weight and wait for a few minutes and kind of shake your arm out, um, you know the lactic acid is buffered by your body. And you can pick up the the dumbbell and keep doing more curls, you know, four or five more sets, and and then you feel that same burning sensation, and you can't lift uh, another rep. Uh, that just it doesn't happen to me as much. Like I, I don't have muscle cramps. I've never had muscle cramps uh, when I run. I don't seem to accumulate lactic acid. Like if I'm and we're, I'm not talking about sprinting because I'm not really a very fast sprinter. This is you know this is at a sustained aerobic you know a, a fast pace, but not a sprint. Mm-hmm. It seems like I can just go on forever. Yeah, it, that's so intriguing to me. And that's one thing that's really come through in the training that I've been doing with my coach is about uh, math and um, keeping my heart rate down at a low level. I don't have, I don't think I've got the same cool um, that the lactic acid doesn't come. But, you know, I, I still, I just, I've got to keep it that nice, slow, steady pace where I'm not hitting into the anaerobic level and it's more just you know trying to get to that point where i can just keep going and going and going and building that fitness level so it sounds to me though that you're like the little engine that could and you just won't stop it doesn't even (laughs) matter where you are you could be on the on the south pole and you'll keep going well i mean you know the other thing i think with me compared to a lot of other runners is that i i really view running as an adventure so you know i love to i love to do races but I don't just race. Uh, too many guys that I've, you know, been um, colleagues with or friends with that were just really great racers. That's kind of what defined them. And when they, you know, when they stop ending up on the podium, you know, let's face it, as you get older, it's harder and harder to compete against younger competitors. Mm-hmm. They they burned out. You know, they gave it up, or they got frustrated, or they got injured. Where you know, I like not only just you know running and races, I like the the Black All 100 uh, in Queensland coming up in October. But I also one time ran um, something we just conceived uh, called Summit to Sydney, which was uh, a group of North Face uh, (laughs) employees um, set up this run for me to run to the summit of Mount Kosciuszko. And then from the summit, 
to run for six days uh, to Sydney. So wow. it was six, 600 kilometers in six days, you know, through the bush. Uh, and that was fantastic adventure. I mean, you know, they had this motorhome, this combi van, and they were supporting me. And, you know, I was running the whole 600 kilometers. And it was just fantastic. It was such a great adventure. And the things we experienced along the way, it was, it was, it was brilliant. Yeah, you really, that really comes through. Like even in what I've watched, the, the, the videos I've watched about you, I, I definitely want to get this book and have a read. You just ooze adventure that, you know, I, I, I see the, I think, is it Marathon Man or the Ultra Marathon Man um, is, is, you know, the kind of like the tagline for you. But at, uh, at the same time, you just, you could just be adventure man. You, and you just have this spice for life and you, you seem so down to earth and it, everyone you're talking to and other people that talk about you, just that you make everyone feel great. And that even though you've experienced all this success, you just still are this mega genuine down to earth adventure loving guy. I love that. You know, I think runners are humbled by nature. You know, <laughs> it's hard to be arrogant when you're a runner because running has a way of humbling you very quickly, right? Mm, mm. You know, uh, it's it's the great neutralizer, I think. Um, but I, I just I don't know. I just feel like I've I've led the life I wanted to live, which is um, very fortunate. Not everyone can do that, and you know, I think runners are kindred spirits. I think there's something um, that we all share. Um, you know, there's a commonality between runners. I think. Maybe it's, you know, that shared suffering brings people together. But like I said, I've been all around the world, and no matter where I go, runners are always the same. Even if they don't speak the same language, even if their skin color is different, you know, even if they worship a different god, they all have this really great nature about them. They're humble. They're warm people. Um, they're unassuming. And, it's, and they're very positive. I mean, runners are... Uh, it's a universal quality I've noticed everywhere I go that runners are just really positive people. Mm, mm, I like that. I like that. And do you, like of, of all these events, uh, you know, South Pole sounds terrifying, but of all these events, do you have a favorite? Well, you know, I've done, like I said, so much, but um, my favorite race ever was a, a 10K. And, you know, you're probably wondering, the listeners are probably wondering, well, you know, you've mm. run hundreds of miles across, you know, the most exotic place on earth. Why a 10K? Well, I ran a, a 10K with my daughter, Alexandria, on her 10th birthday. Oh, and, wow. you know, to, to me as a father, that was like nothing will ever top that. Yeah, wow. Like, and that, you know, like for a, I, I sometimes go for a 10K run. There's a loop here near my house. And um, my daughter is, you know, she'll hop on the bike and, you know, my son and my wife will push the kids in the pram or, or um, carry them behind on a bike trailer. And 10K is a long way. So obviously there must be some running in the blood. You know, I've never, your father as well, I've never pushed running on my kids. I have a, a, a daughter and a son because I'm, you know, so afraid of the, like the, you know, parental backlash. It seems mm. like anything... Anything you tell a kid to do, you know, they do the exact opposite. Mm -hmm. So I, I, you know, I was really fearful about saying, hey, let's go running, you know, and, and, and them hating running. So I just thought, you know, do what you love, you know, set a good example. If they want to run, that's, that's fine. If not, that's fine as well. And she, you know, I, I said I would never come to her and say, hey, let's do this in running. You know, let's go, let's go run a 10K on your 10th birthday. It'd be a dream if she came to me and said, I want to do this. And she came to me and said, hey, Dad, let's run a 10K to celebrate my 10th birthday. 
So it was just, it was really meaningful. You know, wow. it was just, uh, yeah. I, and I saw a different side of her than I'd ever seen. You know, you take your kids for granted, but I saw her suffer and I saw her struggle. And I'll never forget at, at mile, you know, well, I'll say mile five, a 10K being 6.2 miles. Mm-hmm. So at mile five, you know, the kilometer, about kilometer eight, uh, I looked at her and she looked really bad. I mean, she looked, she was kind of staggering a little bit and, you know, her legs were shaky. And I thought, I was, I was just about to say to her, you know, Alexandria, uh, I'm really proud of you for making it this far. You know, we can do this again. Um, you know, let, let, we're, we're, you know, we'll just stop right here. And right when I was about to say that to her, she looked at me and she said, Dad, I can do this. And mm. she just took, and she took off like a rocket. <laughs> wow. And for the last kilometer, I mean, it was all I could do to keep up with her. I can't, I'll never forget it. I mean, she was, you know, we're passing people left and right. She's weaving in and out of all these adults, just rocketing to the finish line. And it was, it was really great to see that resolve in her because I'd, I'd never seen that in my daughter before. Mm, and it was just and, this, this gritty toughness. It was, yeah. Yeah. And, and it's nice as a dad and, and, you know, you, some of these memories, like it's not about a Ferrari. It's like, you know, I'm sure like, you know, the day someone gets their Ferrari, I'm sure that's a great day and they'll probably remember it forever. But there, I just feel like there are treasures um, in this world, such as, you know, those memories, those little snippets that, you know, one day when my life flashes before my eyes, I bet you, or I feel like it'll be a whole string of those sorts of moments. Cause even as you're talking and I'm imagining that, you know, I'm, I'm getting a little tear in my eye thinking about all of the times that I've been able to do things with my kids and see them doing things and, and know that, you know, I'm, developing this little human being and even though they're growing and and at their own pace and and in their own direction as you say we do have a big influence on them and and if we don't push in a lot of ways they will take a lot of things from us so um what a great story that one is Uh, well i mean i think what you said is so poignant and i've realized that more and more as i've as i've matured (laughs) you know i've had some really um epic moments in my life you know i ran to the white house i'm you know i ran through the white house i you know was greeted by First Lady Michelle Obama, you know, as I ran one time from uh, the West Coast, from California to New York. So I ran across America and they invited me to stop at the White House on the way. But, you know, when I think when I do lay in bed and have these, you know, these flashbacks and these memories, it's it's not those pinnacle moments. It's it's a time, you know, oh, I remember the time when we remember the time uh, kids when we got stuck in that rainstorm in Seattle and, you know, (laughs) we didn't have an umbrella. It's those little you know, quirky moments with friends and family uh, that have the most meaning. It's not It's mm-hmm. not these big, you know, magnificent, over-the-top, you know, award ceremonies and this and that uh, that, that really, to me, are, are the most powerful. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. And so, so you, you've got this mindset, right? Uh, I feel like to, to see what you've accomplished, you seem to be a person that's always willing to say yes to life. And, you know, from your perspective, if you had to say what makes up a successful mindset, what, what do you think that is? You know, I think um, perpetually biting off more than you can chew. <laughs> mm. You know, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know that we can ever um, determine how far we can go until we go too far. So, you know, I think a lot of people live um, within their limits and some people are willing to go beyond their limits and to take that risk. So, you know, having that, that 
you know, the, the mindset that, yeah, I'm going to try this, the kind of spirit of adventure, like it might not work out, but I'm going to try it. So, you know, and uh, the other thing is I, to your point, I have a really hard time saying no, mm. you know, I get invited to all these places. It's so easy just to say yes. And then, you know, look at my calendar and go, wow, I'm, you know, I'm, I'll be on four continents in three weeks racing. That's, that's kind of a mm. lot. Mm. Uh, but the other thing I think is, is just to, um, you know, to continually view the world through the eyes of a child, you know, just keep that fresh, um, perspective on things, never take anything for granted always be curious, always learn, you know, always seek, never stop exploring. I think those, that type of mindset, um, you know, is led me to where I'm at. Yeah. And, and that's an interesting point because I imagine like I've got a, a three-year-old boy and I, and I think about his, you know, life and even just from the backyard, like we've got a tiny backyard here in Brisbane, but you, you know, he's got a trampoline, some swings, some dirt to dig in, some little digger trucks. And, like, if you just look at the world from his perspective, he's just – he could stay outside all day and he'll find a different thing to enjoy and a different thing to do. And so at times, like, I look at him and I I've, I feel like my inner child is alive and well. And But you, it does change as you get older. It, it's easy for that to get muffled and it's easy for that um, thirst for adventure – it's there, I think, for everyone to some to some degree, but it can get muffled. And so, letting that out uh, and looking for all the positives and and finding uh, and and you might be able to say the same, but um, and you might have already said it. But if I consider my boy, he could probably look anywhere and turn it into an adventure. And so, it's almost a matter of changing that perspective. Yeah, no, I I couldn't agree more. I mean. Um... You know, I, I lived in Australia when I was a teenager. I went to high school in, in Sydney, and it was a really transformative uh, period of my life. Obviously, when you're a teenager, you know, you're very impressionable. But to, to move overseas, especially to Australia, you know, into a, a, a different culture, uh, was, was, it, it influenced my life forever. And, you know, one takeaway that um, I learned in Australia is this, uh, we, I remember studying this idea of uh, walkabout. So mm. the native ab Aboriginal people used to go on this thing called walkabout. I don't know if you know about walkabout, but it was, it was kind of like a coming of age thing where, you know, the Aboriginals, if they, if they felt like, uh, they kind of burned out in their current situation and they, you know, they were taking life for granted and, you know, their, their peers for granted, they would just head out, uh, with destination unknown just for maybe a week, maybe two weeks, maybe three weeks and just go walkabout. And I do something called runabout, <laughs> mm. where I, I just get up in the morning, you know, I, I put a couple bucks in my hydration pack uh, and, and just head out. I, you know, I tell my wife, uh, I'll probably be back by sunset, maybe not, you know, I'll take a headlamp with me and I'll just go run. I'll run maybe, you know, 50, 60, 70 kilometers. Uh, I'll run fast when I feel like running fast. I'll, I'll jog at points. I'll walk if I want to walk. You know, I'll stop and grab a latte at a coffee shop if I pass a coffee shop. But I just go explore with no destination, nothing, nothing trying. I'm not trying to accomplish anything. I'm just, mm. you know, just kind of recharging uh, and being free, just being a mm. human. <laughs> mm. and I don't it think sounds like people, freedom. Yeah. How many people ever do that? I mean, when we become mm. adults, it's all about chores and, and, and doing this and task list and this and that. We don't ever just kind of screw off and just go explore for a day. And I do that all the time. I love it. I love it. And 
I, I was watching a, um, a movie about your uh, dedication to eating right. So not only have you you've got this super mindset, you're you're obviously super fit, and you and you can push yourself, and your body can go. But you seem to really like have a very balanced approach that you fuel yourself right. And I think the the one I was watching, I might have been an interview, it was it was um, a, a couple interviewing you, I think, and um, you mentioned that if you happen to be at an airport and the food wasn't right or somewhere and the food's not right, you would rather not eat. Um, and, and you know, obviously our bodies can perfectly sustain us, um, you know, over the length of a meal, um, missing one meal or more, um, and that so that you could actually feel yourself right. So how, how do you tackle nutrition? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm laughing as you're saying all that because um, if you end up reading my first book, Ultra Marathon Man, you know, the opening story is a time I was, I was running a 200-mile uh, race by myself. It was a 12-person relay race, but I was just trying to run it without 11 teammates, just solo. Mm -hmm. And I was stranded in the middle of the night, you know, starving, and I had a cell phone and a credit card, so I, I ordered a pizza that was <laughs> delivered to me as I was running, you know, and I just rolled it up into this big, like, burrito and ate a whole pizza so my diet has changed. You know, when I was younger, I was definitely into junk food. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, as I, as I started becoming more athletic and trying to optimize my performance, I changed my diet a lot uh, to, you know, basically uh, refine, not to eat any refined or processed foods. Anything that comes in a bag, you know, I, I don't eat. Um, mm -hmm. I had a ment this mentor named Jack Lane. He says, if man makes it, don't eat it. And if it tastes good, spit it out. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, you know, nothing sweetened, you know, everything from the earth kind of thing. And, uh, you know, to your earlier point, I think that not eating is much better than eating the wrong thing. Um, you know, so many businessmen and women I talk to, you know, they say, oh, you know, I was doing so well with my diet and then I went traveling and, you know, there was the horrible airport food and the airplane food. And I always think you don't have to eat it. <laughs> mm. You know, you can carry your own food or you can just fast. I mean, it's not going to kill you to fast for a, you know, six or seven hour flight. In fact, it's probably good for you. Mm, yeah, that's been an interesting thing that has come out um, a bit of late. Even with our diet change here at home, we've gone um, through to like more low carb, um, high fat, really just trying to eat whole foods, earth kind of food. Um, and it... It took three weeks, but then all of a sudden I'm not hungry and you just, it's mealtime and I think, well, I, I might eat now because it's probably good to get some nutrients in, but my body's fine. And then talking with another ultra runner and he was talking, I think about auto, autophagy where you, if you actually fast, it can actually kick your body into gear to go and hunt out all the dead cells in your body and, and kind of eat them or, or, you know, repurpose them and, and clean up your body somewhat so it's interesting to think that not eating and really just eating super healthy food i'm not saying 21 don't eat at all that would be craziness but you know to to eat the, the food that i think our bodies were designed to eat not the stuff that comes out of a packet makes better sense to fuel us not even not even just for ultra but for life no i agree and you know the the idea of uh time restricted or intermittent fasting um, you know, I've been doing that for probably two decades. Uh, you know, I'm 100% I'm Greek, and the, you know, the Greeks, it was more for religious purposes, but they, they did what was called an apostles fast. And I remember they used to fast for 24 hours, primarily associated with Lent, 
Mm-hmm. But um, I just remember how amazing it you feel. I mean, you know, it's very hard to do initially. You, you want to chew off the back of your hand because you're so hungry. Mm. But um, now I can routinely fast for 24 hours. Mm. Yeah, and and so that's a really interesting thing. Like that is how often are you fasting for 24 hours? A couple times a week. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah a couple times a week. Wow. And I, you know, people say, you know, after you come off your fast, don't you overeat? And no, I just go back to regular eating. Yeah. And a lot of, a lot of times I get up in the morning, you know, people say, what do you eat before a big race? A lot of times I don't eat anything. Mm. You know, I, I, and I, and I have coffee as well. So a lot of times, you know, when I'm going to do a 20 or 30 kilometer training run in the morning, I, I just have a cup of coffee and go. So I, I run in a fasted state. That's and intriguing. I think, yeah, I think as far as like turning over your cells to to you know to the point your friend made, uh, I think that absolutely is happening. Mm. Yeah, and 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 that's that is just so intriguing because that same um, guy he was explaining to me about how your body uses up so much energy digesting food. So if you don't have the food there to digest, then your body doesn't need as much energy to actually get by and do what it was doing. Plus, you've got all the fat cells stored in your body anyway to, to u- utilize and burn as you need them anyway. So it, it just seems like, like, where was all this information before I knew it? Like, <laughs> do you know? Like, I, I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Well, and it's, you know, it just uh, on a more universal level, um, you know, uh, obesity uh, is, is, a, is a global uh, epidemic. And in fact, there's a term called globesity. Oh, wow. So when I travel around, it's amazing. Even countries in Africa that are, you know, second world countries, you know, they say one of the biggest health problems we're facing now is childhood obesity. Mm. And I just think, you know, that's because we're, we were taught the wrong things. And now, you know, just this conversation we're having, I bet to a lot of people, they've never, you know, this will be the first time they're exposed to this sort of logic Mm. when it comes to diet. But, you know, what I've noticed in my travels is that there, there's no, there's very rare that you meet someone that's just, you know, kind of average these days. People are either overweight or they're super fit. <laughs> mm. There's no just kind of like average layperson that kind of has normal weight. Like if, if you, you're either super dedicated to fitness and you're really buff or mostly it's just the opposite is, you know, you're, you're uh, overweight or obese. So mm. there's kind of this big gap in the middle. And I think that, you know, just having conversations like this where more people are exposed to this, you know, this new way of this kind of shift in paradigm as far as it comes to food intake and calorie intake, I think is going to improve a lot of people's lives. And it, it's happening. I mean, you, you know, you, you just learned about this and I talk to people all the time and I kind of explain my diet and the idea of, you know, time-restricted fasting and they've never heard of this before and, and they're just intrigued. Mm. And and that is an interesting one. Like we, you know, what is it? The body BMI, the body mass index thing, or where it shows you, um, you know, where you are. And I remember, um, you know, talking with someone, or you know, that came up, and I had a look at where I sat, and I was overweight, pushing on obese. And I remember sitting there thinking, like, no, no, that's 
no, that's not me. That's not who I see in the mirror. And um, and I wasn't doing pretty well anything to do with exercise or fitness. And I really wasn't. Now, I was probably rolling pizzas up into burritos um, on a regular basis, right? <laughs> so, you know. And and so then all of a sudden that really started to prompt a change. And and someone had said that they had a goal um, to be able to see their board short strings. They'd like to lose enough weight. And <laughs> I heard that right. And I went home that night and I had board shorts on that night and I looked down and I couldn't see the strings to tie up the board shorts. And all of a sudden it was like I was just smacked back into reality of you need to make a change. I've got like a little kid on the way. Um, you know, I've got two older kids, but you know, you want to be around for them and you realize that if it, it just sort of creeps away and without actually sort of stopping to uh, mindfully choose what I'm eating and choose how I'm living. And it's been a big journey to get from where I am there, there to here. But if I don't do that, the the alternate reality is is just something I don't want to have to face, and I don't I never want to go back to that. So this active lifestyle and, and being mindful of my food, I might not get it right all the time, but it certainly is better than where I was by by a country mile. Yeah, good on you. I didn't I didn't know you you were ever uh, not fit. I mm. thought <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, mean, it, I remember when I was when I was living in Australia, and I mean I don't want to say how old I am, but this is a few decades ago. I remember a campaign and I can't remember the name of the bloke, but it was, uh, it was like a television campaign where this guy couldn't exact, he couldn't see his feet because of his belly. And they were, you know, they were telling Australians, it was like a, you know, a public services announcement. Hey, Aussies, let's get fit. And this was three decades ago. And it's, you know, it's obviously, it's a, it's a, it's a tough problem to solve. Yeah, well, globesity, that, that's a really interesting term. And, and I would never actually thought that it was everywhere. I kind of figured Western, um, Western world, you know, McDonald's, and, you know, junk foods and things um, that, that could be around so easily accessible that, you, you know, you, but yeah, that's interesting to think it's, it's the world over. Um, thinking about, like you mentioned before about your, your book, right? So I'm keen to see this one, but you haven't even just done one book. I mean, like not only have you accomplished all these things, you've, you've got more than one book. Is that right? It's, it's absolutely right. I've got four books. Four books. And I mean, I, I don't, I don't want to pound my own chest, but a couple of them have been bestsellers in, in Australia and New Zealand. And I think one of the reasons is because, I mean, you know, not only are Aussies, I think, in general, adventurous spirits, but a lot of the stories in, in these books are about Australia mm. and about races and runs I've done uh, in Australia and about, uh, you know, live, me living in Australia and how influential it was um, on me. I was 15 years old, uh, you know, how it influenced my way of looking at things. Yeah, right. But, and so what what is the name of the other books? Can you rattle them off? at, at uh... Yeah, yeah. So... The first one is, is called Ultra Marathon Man. And again, you can get these in bookstores in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the second one is a book called 5050, which is uh, about one time I ran 50 marathons in all of the, the 50 United States in 50 consecutive days. Oh, wow. Which, again, you know, was <laughs> quite an adventure. Uh, the third one is called, um, it's just called Run with an exclamation point. And the, and the byline is 26.2 miles of blisters and bliss and 26.2 mm-hmm. is the is the i'm sorry 20 26.2 stories of blisters and bliss and 20 26.2 is the you know number of miles in a marathon so one of the stories it they're basically short stories uh 26 of them 
where you you know you can just read one per night or you know if you've got a, a short flight you know you can read one story one chapter and they're all standalone chapters uh, independent stories and one of the stories is about um, the uh, the summit to Sydney adventure uh, in Australia and that's probably one of my favorite chapters and then the most recent book is called The Road to Sparta and it's about the original uh, marathon. So it's about uh, the foot messenger, Phidipides, who ran uh, from the battlefield of Marathon uh, to the Acropolis in Greece in 490 um, BC uh, to proclaim victory over the, the Persians. And he, you know, he proclaimed, uh, after running the marathon, he proclaimed uh, Nike, Nike, or Nike, Nike, which means victory, victory, we are victorious. And, and then he died. So mm. it's, it's quite an epic tale. Well, and that's a really interesting one, actually, because I was, as I was watching and, and researching a bit about you, I learned that marathon doesn't mean run. Um, it actually, from from what <laughs> I, my, my understanding, from where you know, I'll butcher this, I'm sure, but it was something to do with like a type of plant that grows um, out in that place, um, and then it and the distance wasn't a marathon. The distance was some massive, crazy long distance um, that I'm sure you'd be able to tell us about, but you also um, went back and did that run, didn't you? And, and by the sounds of things, at the time you were eating all the local foods and really trying to recreate what, um, what was that man's name? Pheidippides? Pheidippides, you're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. no, you, yeah, you got it right. Um, uh, this, you know, this, the, my most recent book, The Road to Sparta, is really a, it's somewhat of a history book. So if you're a history buff, um, you'll enjoy that book. Uh, but marathon uh, means uh, essentially field of fennel or fennel. You know the, mm. the herb fennel because mm. that you know anise. Uh, it grows wild all over Australia. I mean, uh, all over Greece, and especially in this one area where uh, the invading Persians landed in this field of fennel, marathon. And yeah, the. Pheidippides didn't run the 26.2 miles um, initially. He first ran to Sparta, which is something around 140 miles. Mm. So it, he really ran you know, a very long distance um, in uh, under 36 hours. So you know, he set out one morning and he arrived in Sparta the next afternoon, which when you think about it, 140 miles um, you know, wearing, he was probably running barefoot. The ancient Greek runners were barefoot or in sandals mm. and eating, eating only figs and, you know, foraging for food. No, you know, no Gatorade, no electrolyte replenishments, nothing like that. Just, you know, finding water uh, where he found it along the way. How he covered 140 miles, you know, and that, that quickly is, is phenomenal. And this is mm. 2,500, 2,500 years ago. And that that is intriguing. Then and how and you managed to go then and do it in under thirty six as well, is that right? Yeah, well, there's a race now called the Spartathlon, and it's exactly a recreation of um, the the race to Sparta. And it starts at the base of the Acropolis, and you finish in Sparta. And the modern race is one hundred and fifty three miles mm. because it it follows mostly the roads. Uh, and yes, I did it and I ate only figs and, um, cured meat, like with beef jerky and olives, uh, and something called pastilli, which is this ground up sesame seed and honey, this paste that was like an ancient energy gel. Mm. And, and, and I only drank water. I didn't drink any sort of, um, 
electrolyte replenishment fluids. And you made it through. I love, I love like that you that you recreated that and and a, and a, a heritage from you know from where your your ancestry and 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 so that it must have just meant a lot to you being able to go back and do that. Uh, it it did, and it also gave me an appreciation of how you know how tough these ancient runners were. Um, you know, Philippides was part of a class of citizens called Hemodromi or just the Romi, which the translation is day long runners. Mm-hmm. So that was this guy's job. I mean, they had that was his specialty is running long distances. Um, you know, the Greeks realized that in the you know the rocky and, and mountainous terrain of southern Greece, that a, a trained man could outrun a horse. Mm. So they trained these foot messengers, and they were like you know the faster internet. They you know they could gather intelligence and they could um, share information with Greek city states faster than any enemy could you know on horseback. And that's how they were able to, like, that was their strategic advantage is, is these runners. And these guys were tough, man. I'll tell you, they were really tough. Mm. And and so I'm, I'm intrigued. People that are um, listening to this, let's say that they're already running, they're already, uh, you know, involved in, in endurance and, and doing some level of running. If they wanted to be able to take their game from from where they are now to ultra which you know we've talked talked about perpetually biting off more than you can chew which i think is a great mindset thing but would you have say three tips for people that are looking to to make that leap yeah i mean i think um the first tip is to to find a race that's further than anything you've done before so say you've done uh, a 50k um find a 50 mile race so it's you know 78k um, find one that looks like in a place you'd like to go and see, and then hit register. So mm-hmm. once you commit, <laughs> once you commit, you're like you're now you're on the hook. So yeah. you know you've got something that's coming up. You got to train for it and so forth. Um, the other thing I would say is uh, invest in a in a new pair of, of shoes. Um, get a go to a running specialty store and have them you know have a knowledgeable um, staff. Uh, you know, salesperson fit you in a really good pair of shoes. Uh, having good shoes, you know, is is just it's more comfortable all the way around. Uh, and then I would say, you know, train how you would prefer to train. So look at your personality type. Some people are very extroverted and they like training in groups or with mm-hmm. a partner, and they like the accountability of knowing, hey, I've got to be here at eight a.m. on Saturday morning for a long run. Um, other people are, are introverted and they prefer to run by themselves. So train however feels most comfortable and natural to you. So it's not like you're forcing yourself to do something. It's something you'd want to do. And I think that really helps a lot because I, I think a lot of people prefer to train by themselves and other people really don't like training by themselves. Mm, mm, some great tips there. I like that. And um, the shoes thing is is a really interesting one because there's just like recently I've started finding out that you've got zero drop shoes. You've got shoes that don't have padding. You've got shoes that have rocker. You've got rock plates. You've you've got um, you know just different types of cushioning. How much do you want to absorb? Uh, you know toe box width. Uh, you know like what? There's just so many different types of shoes out there, and and who knows? But you have to imagine if you are especially getting to these ultra distances, it's a long time. Um, <laughs> you know, to have potentially the wrong pair of shoes under your feet. <laughs> it's yeah. I mean, it makes things so much worse uh, to the point where it can be impossible if you don't have the right shoes on. Mm. Well, 
Dean, I am just blown away. This, I wish I could just talk and talk and talk for weeks, uh, follow you around and just, that doesn't sound right, but just to absorb all of this this energy that you put off and, and, to, and to continually be inspired. But even from a distance, I am um, continually being inspired by you. And, and I've got an 85 uh, or a 53 miler coming up in five weeks that I'm, and I'm, and I've definitely bitten off um, more than I can chew. So I'm, I'm, I'm really just going to chew as best I can on the day. Um, but I'll be drawing a little bit of Dean uh, inspiration uh, on the run. Uh, but for, for people listening that, you know, they want to follow along on your journey, um, did you have some there's some social media handles or websites where people could follow you? Oh, <laughs> I've got, I mean, if you just go to any search engine, Google or whatever, you know, search engine, just, and just type in uh, Dean Carnassus and it all comes up. I've got a website. I've got, you know, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all those things. So yep. just, just type in my name and however you, you know, you want to follow me or if you want to look at any of my books you can go on Amazon or any you know anywhere and and find all that stuff and that is um Dean D-A-N D-E-A-N and then K-A-R-N-A-Z-E-S Z-E-S yep only in Australia is it a Z yep no Z's Z yes a Z a Z um so so that's this has been such a fun catch-up um, I really am just so appreciative. Uh, I, I'm super inspired. I know the listeners will be. So, Dean, thanks so much for taking the time to have a chat. Uh, thanks for having me on, and I send my best across the Pacific. <laughs>